Amen. Thank you for being here again and for worshiping with us. And uh, looking forward to the day that is already happening and in front of us. I guess I never said anything, but guests, welcome. And uh, in, my, in my welcome time, I did not welcome you. But uh, thank you for being here and for uh, worshiping with us. If you did have a chance, or if you will have a chance, hopefully to fill out one of those Connect cards, we would love for you to drop that uh, in one of the boxes or uh, give it to us as you leave this morning. But thank you for worshiping with us. We are continuing in Mark chapter number 6. If you've been with us, we are going through the book of Mark, and uh, we have now been in Mark chapter 6 for several weeks, and we've got one more week in chapter 6, and then we will uh, move on. But uh, this morning, we are coming out of a, uh, the disciples had just uh, been a part of an incredible miracle, a very familiar miracle, a famous one if you want to call it that, but uh, uh, Mark chapter 6, just prior to this was the feeding of the 5,000, or really it was about 25,000 uh, people total that were there, and we were just kind of wrapping that up, and, and uh, we come into this passage in verse number 45, where Jesus now is uh, getting pushed out. We'll see that in just a moment. And, uh, but I, before we get into that, I want to I take us to verse number 52. And in verse number 52 of Mark chapter 6, it says, For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. They had just come out of an amazing time. They had just witnessed some of the most uh, incredible things that the Word of God speaks of with the feeding of roughly 25,000 people. And it says that their hearts were hardened. They did not understand what that was. To me, I look at this and I, I, I find it just intriguing. These men had been with Jesus They had just gone and ministered on their own as he had just sent them out. They had now gone from house to house. They were dealing with families. They were were a part of some of the miracles that God had done and was doing. And they had seen some of the most incredible things. But yet, something there, it makes the reference that their hearts were hardened, that they didn't grasp all that had just taken place. And so we see here that Jesus is... Uh, we've just come to this place, and in, in John chapter 6 and verse 15, I hope all this will make sense as I'm kind of hitting a couple different thoughts here, but John 6 and verse 15, it says, when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. So the disciples had, they are coming into this time where they had just uh, fed the multitudes. The disciples didn't fully grasp what had taken place. And now Jesus is saying, hey, all of these guys are coming. They are coming to take me. They're wanting to make me king. If you know much of the storyline, if you know the, the, the Jesus coming as the Messiah, you would understand that the disciples, as well as uh, pretty much everybody, they were looking for somebody to come as king. They were looking for somebody to come and, and take over so that they would no longer be under the authority of the Roman guards and all of those things. And they were longing for Jesus as this Messiah to come and take power on earth. Now, if you know the word, that's not yet taken place. That time will come, but they were thinking this was going to happen now. And so these people were all coming. They were ready to take him to make him be their king. And he said, whoa, 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 time out. Disciples, you need to go. And he begins, and we'll get into that in just a moment. 
but we see that they didn't fully understand. They didn't grasp exactly what had taken place. In John chapter 6, if you move forward, it's quite a bit forward, we see in verses 66 through 69 that it says, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. I'm bouncing around a little bit because I want us to think in our minds, I want us to get to a place, what was it that from the point here in, Matthew, or in Mark chapter 6, 52, where it says that they were hardened, their hearts were hardened to what had just taken place, to now as we move forward just a little bit, it wasn't that much time to where they were looking at Jesus and Peter said, we believe we are going nowhere, we are with you, you are the Son of God. What happened in that time frame? We'll hit some of that in the next couple weeks. But what happened? From a place of not understanding what God had just done to a place just very, very shortly thereafter them saying, no, we are not going anywhere because we believe we know that you are the Son of God. See, I believe that as we get into this passage of Scripture this morning in Mark chapter 6, I believe there was something that took place because even in, it doesn't mention this in the, the gospel of Mark, but in the gospel of, of Matthew chapter 14 and verse 33, it says this, then they that were in the ship came and worshiped him saying of a truth, thou art the son of God. The same passage of scripture that we're reading, Jesus walking on the water. They were initially saying, they, they didn't grasp the, the miraculous that had taken place under the feeding of the 5,000. They're now in the boat, and it says that, that, that Jesus came and he walked on the water. They went from being fearful to Jesus coming, and they said, but surely thou art the Son of God. Something changed, and I believe as we look at this passage today that we will see that thing that changed, and I believe also that it can be the same thing for you and I that can change in our minds and it's not necessarily a salvation thing though that is obviously the foundation piece of this but we get into this storyline today we see a struggle we see a battle we see a storm that has come to these men that uh, really it can represent storms in all of our lives but I want us to look at a couple things this morning that I believe can be impactful can be a challenge to us See, because when we look at this storyline, and we'll get there in just a moment, but here in the introduction, Jesus was the one that sent them into the storm. I believe from my reading and from my understanding and study that these men were being pretty obedient. They had some questions because it says that Jesus, he, was, he constrained them to go, so there was a little bit of a, uh, uh, an encouragement. He he constrained them, he, he pushed them to go, but I believe that the disciples were, just, were being obedient, but yet in the midst of the storm, Jesus, or in their obedience, Jesus sent them out into the storm. It says that Jesus watched their struggle before he ever came to them, but what I believe is the thing that has grasped and gripped a hold of my heart all week is he said this in this passage of scripture, he says, be of good cheer, but he says this, it 
is I. See, we know that passage, or we, we may not know that phrase, but that, that's, that is the same statement that is in the Old Testament oftentimes, where God looked at Moses, and when Moses said, but, but where I'm supposed to go, and I'm supposed to tell these people, who am I to tell them that sent me to say these things? And God says, I am. It's the same statement. It is I, or I am, is basically the same exact statement. And I believe that it was this moment that it was a, a, a light bulb moment, if you will, that changed from them having a hardened heart to them saying, truly this is the Son of God, to Peter saying, God, where else shall we go? Because you are the Son of God. And this morning, as I've been studying all week long, I've considered a lot of things, considering things as a father, considering things as a, as a man who has grown up in church and served in church and ministry his entire life as a pastor. I, I, I kind of, in, in some ways, I think that I, I, I would be like or am like the disciples and that they've gone out into the houses, they've served, they've, they've seen exciting things, they've seen uh, God do miraculous things, they've seen moments of hurt and hardship. I feel like there's been moments that I've been obedient yet was in the midst of the storm all while Jesus was just watching on the sideline before he came to my rescue. And the thought is this this morning to me that I hope is a, is a help or an encouragement to you. It's kind of this, have you had the it is I moment in your life? Have you had that moment? I think that there's, I, I don't think it's necessarily maybe a one-time moment. For some of you, it may be an it is I moment of coming to a place where you give your life to Jesus and you say, you realize and you recognize the sin that is inside of you, the, the sinner that you are, and you come to a place of recognition that God has, has come, that he gave his son to die upon a cross to 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 seek your, to, to be the savior of the world for you, to, to save your soul, that you would come to that place of understanding that sin and recognizing that you need forgiveness and you need to confess that sin before God, that, that he came to die on your behalf. Maybe there's that recognition, that it is I moment, but for many in this room, you know Jesus as savior, but I'm curious, has the light bulb, have you had those moments where the light bulb goes off? I believe the disciples knew God. But in the middle of that lake, in the middle of the sea on that particular night, in the middle of the night, there was an it is I moment, there was an I am moment, there was a moment where they stopped dead in their tracks and they said, truly this is the Son of God. And it changed, I believe it changed everything about them as they continued to move forward. Have you had those moments? Maybe you would say, oh I remember this time and... Inside of your memory, it goes back years and years and years. And you've just been kind of going along, forgetting what it was to be that close and intimate with God. And this morning, as we get into this, I, I feel there's several things inside of this passage that just jumped out at me. One is that Jesus sent them into that storm another is that he saw them that he came to them and this morning i'm just bringing this to you 
Have you had the it is I moment where you said truly you are the son of God? Do you feel that you have been obedient and Jesus is just watching you toil and wrestle? Can I just encourage you to stay the course and stay faithful? Are you right now in the midst of a storm and you're in fear? Can I tell you to remain faithful and stay the course? This morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 6. We're going to look at 45 through 52. And just that simple statement is the title, It is I this morning. And I pray that it will be an encouragement to you as it has been to me studying all week long. Let's look at this passage of scripture. It says this, And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida, while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it, it had been a spirit and cried out. For they all saw him. And were troubled, and immediately he talked with them, and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up into the, unto them, into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, and wondered, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Father, I come to you today. Lord, I don't know if there's, there's some that sit in this room today with a little bit of a hardened heart. They've watched you work. They've watched you do uh, miraculous thing after miraculous thing. And God, they're just, maybe they're just coasting through. Maybe there's some that are in the midst of the storm. They would look and they would believe that they've been obedient in their walk. They've been obedient. They're doing what you've called them to do, but yet they're still in the storm. God, would you speak to them today and let them know that you see them you're watching them. God, this hasn't caught you off guard. God, maybe there is somebody that doesn't know you today. They do not know you as Savior. God, would you draw them to yourself? Would you help them to see that they were created with the intention and purpose that they would be in relationship with you, but sin broke that relationship, so you sent your Son to offer forgiveness, to offer hope, that they might know you as Lord and Savior in confession, in repentance of sin, and believing in you. God, just meet with us this morning. I ask that your spirit would tug upon our hearts. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. The first thought this morning is this. They were sent into the storm. They were sent into the storm. The feeding had now ended again. We, we see, as we just read in John 6, 15, the crowd was coming in closer, uh, that, that they were going to take Jesus by force. And I would imagine that the disciples were, I, I don't know, I would imagine that uh, one of two things. One, they were either uh, really uh, like, hey, whoa, we're going we're gonna to build this fortress around him and we'll do all that we can to say uh, we're going to stave off this, this crowd of people. They also could have been on the other side of it going, but Jesus, 
Man, these people love you. They want you. And we want to be a part of this. There's that fame that was going on that, that they were a part of what Jesus was doing. And, and there was a, a, a fame that was taking place. But we know this according to this passage of Scripture. Jesus, it said, he straightway he constrained them. That is, he forced or made them to get out in the boat and to go across the sea. Jesus saw what was about to take place. He recognized that this crowd of people were wanting to take him and he for forced them to go out into the boat and they went onto the lake and they began to go across the sea there. It says that in 45, he constrained them and they went away. And then it says that he sent away the people. This is just kind of mind-boggling to me, just one of those little maybe silly things that I think about. But it, in understanding and studying this pastor scripture, we know from everything that's historically written, there's anywhere from 20 to 25,000 people. And it says, all that it says was that he just sent them away. Was that like just this God moment of he turned around and s clapped his hands and they were all disappeared? Like, how does that, ha like, I don't know. This is just my silly mind, but how does that happen? How does one person turn around to a crowd of 20,000 plus and be like, all right, hey, leave. If you've been here in any length of time, you've seen the T-Mobile, you've seen now the Allegiant Stadium, you don't get 20,000 people to just walk away in a matter of a moment. But either way, the crowd is now gone, and it says what? That Jesus did what? Jesus now goes up, when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. Jesus sends the disciples away. Jesus sends the crowd of 20,000 plus away. And Jesus begins to go up into the mountain to pray. He knows what the disciples are about to face. He knows the storm that's coming into the sea. He knows all of the things that are surrounding them. He is aware of all of that. And I kind of imagine that Jesus going up and uh, having an intense moment of, of prayer. Maybe he's interceding on the behalf of the disciples. Luke 23, uh, 32, it says, But I have prayed for thee. I imagine Jesus doing some of this. That thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brother. And I imagine that Jesus prayed that their faith would not fail them. I imagine that he prayed for their strength. I had imagined that he prayed that God would guard their heart. God, would you protect them? Would you keep their minds? Would you do all of those things? I imagine that he was pleading, interceding on behalf of the disciples. John 17, 9 and 10 says this, I pray for them. Not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. For they are thine and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. I would imagine that Jesus was having a moment of interceding on behalf of these disciples. And as he prays, they're out in the middle of the storm, facing the wind, facing the waves that were coming, I, I kind of picture it maybe getting gradually worse. Because I think if the wind was crazy right off the get-go, they would have just stayed on the shoreline. Why are we going anywhere? 
I kind of picture it, that they started to go, that things were going all right. And as they got so far out, it was one of those moments of like, okay, well, we're here. Do we turn around or do we just keep going? At some point, you're at that place in the decision-making. I've got a six-mile journey. I'm four miles in. Do I, do I stay or do I turn around? Well, you're already there. You might as well keep on pressing along. I kind of imagine that they're in some kind of, they're in a moment similar to that where they've, they've, gum, they've gone far enough that they're really not going to turn around. But let me share with you what jumped out at me with this simple little thing. Because it may not jump out at you the same, but it jumped out at me. Jesus sent them an obedient group of disciples into a storm. Some of you right now have been obedient to the Lord, but you're in the middle of a storm. See, I don't think these disciples were disobedient. I don't think that they were just in this great amount of sin See, sometimes when things go wrong in our lives, the first thing that we go to is what? Sin. There has to be something with sin. What is going on? What is going on? What is going on? The devil is attacking me. And sure, there's an aspect of that. But as I look at this passage of Scripture, I can't help but see that Jesus sent them into the lake or into the sea knowing that the storm was coming. Can I just encourage you with this today? Maybe it's not encouraging at all. But your obedience to God does not mean there will be no storm in your life. Isn't that awesome? Because if you're anything like me, here's what you think, and here's how you live your life sometimes. Is God, I've done really good. So why would you allow this to happen? I've been such a good kid. I've been a good boy. So therefore, I should get a treat. That's seriously, I believe believers, Christians, often live their lives like this. Like, I've done well, so God, you, I, I deserve this treat. Nowhere in Scripture does God say, if you are obedient to me, I will give you all the things that you just want and that everything's going to be perfect. See, God's word, God desires what? Just me. He just wants to be in intimate relationship with you. So when I'm in obedience to God, my, intimate, my intimacy can be in oneness, in unity, because we are in line. I'm obedient. I'm loving him. I'm following him. I'm doing the things that I believe he's called me to do. And I am in unity with God. Therefore, the relationship is great. But nowhere in Scripture does he say, if you do that, everything's going to be perfect. See, these guys were obedient. It is possible to completely, to be completely obedient to the Lord and still find yourself in the midst of the storm. Bad thing has happened or bad things happen, and sometimes they happen, even though you have done nothing wrong. See, I live my life so often where it's like, I, I, literally, it's like a child. Mom, I was so good in the store. Can I have the candy? And we're always expecting the treat. 
because I've been so good. Lord, look how good I've been. Look at all that I'm doing. Look at how great that I am. Look at, look at, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And then when something over here goes bad, we say, but God, how could this happen? I've been so good to you. And nowhere in Scripture does it speak to that at all. I can only speak for me. But there's been lots of times where I've been frustrated. This, this is how petty that I am. This is, uh, being honest. Man, God, this last month, my devotions have been good. My, my study time has been awesome. My prayer time has been good. Blah, 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 blah. And I come to church today, and there's like 50 people. What's going on? I've been good. Why are you not blessing? Maybe a pastor's not supposed to tell you that. But that's how I am sometimes. Like, God, we're doing all this work for you. Why are we not seeing 7,000 people here? Because that's not what it's about. My obedience ought not be so that I can get a treat. My obedience ought to be so that I can know him in a more intimate and personal manner. And Jesus sent them out in the middle of the storm. Jesus sent the disciples, obedient children of his, into a storm. You might be in the middle of a storm, and you've said, but I've been good. I, mean, I, even, I even changed diapers in the nursery this month. Look at all that I'm doing. And God says what? But I don't, I'm not after that. I'm after your obedience to know you. Not because everything's going to be smooth. The storm comes to bring you closer to me. That you would draw closer to him. So it hit me this week. Right in the middle of the face. That sometimes Jesus sends us out right into the middle of the storm in the midst of our obedience. So the first thought is Jesus sent them in the storm. The second thought is this. They were watched in their struggle. They were watched in their struggle. So Jesus, again, evening was come. The ship was in the midst of the sea. It says that he, Jesus, was alone on the land and he saw them toiling and rowing for the wind was contrary unto them and about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them. So we see initially that Jesus, again, he sent them out to go. He sends away the crowd of people. He goes up to pray. Uh, and then now all of a sudden we look at this thing and he saw them toiling. They're in the midst of the sea. The winds are hitting them in their face. They've now been rowing and rowing. Naturally, at this time of history, the greatest way to get on a sea would have been a sea or a sailboat. The sails with the wind would have taken them. Well, now it says that the wind is contrary. It is facing them, so it's not going to take them. They, they now put the sails down. Now they're, they've got the oars out. They're rowing like crazy, fighting against this storm. It's now about uh, 6 to 9 in the evening, somewhere there. Uh, they're in the middle of the sea. They're, like I said just a moment ago, they're probably too far to just turn around. Things were tough. It's getting darker. The winds are getting more violent. The waves are crushing and beating the boat. 
And I read many things throughout this week in a couple different sermons or commentaries that I read where it speaks of just being separated from God. And, and I looked at that in, in a context of just sin. And I think that there's a place for that. That sometimes sin is just that separate. We're separated from God and therefore we're in the midst of the storm and we're trying to figure it out, but we're trying to figure it out on our own. Do you follow? Sometimes there is that. I genuinely do not believe that this is what's going on. I don't believe that the disciples were in the midst of sin and they were separated from God, therefore that God needed to show up. I just believe that that God was doing something to draw them closer, that they would say, truly, you are the Son of God. God was trying to show them something greater than they had experienced in the past. And so I, I look at this, and so when I say that to you, there may be somebody in this room that you are in the midst of a storm, and it's genuinely a separation from God. There may, that may be your story. It might be sin. It might be things that you can look at, and you know that the things that God is allowing you to see right now are in large part because you have not been faithful to what God has called you to do. Your crying out is a little bit different. But I believe that this storyline is more for those that would say that you're obedient to God, you're walking with God, you're striving, but God, why now? Why am I in the middle of all of the things that are going on? The disciples, I'd imagine, they may not even have thought of this as a spiritual battle at all. It hasn't hit them at that point yet, that there's a spiritual thing taking place. But we see them struggling. The storm raging. And I believe that with everything in me, I don't know, I don't understand, but for whatever reason, this week, that phrase, there's two phrases that have hit me a lot this week. One is he saw them, and two, it is I. If you were with us, there was like a camera I don't know, I probably said it half a dozen times or more when we first started talking through this sermon, this, this passage of Scripture. Each Tuesday, I sit down with Dan and another gentleman, and we just kind of talk through the sermons, and we just throw ideas and thoughts, what this person says, and just different things. And I kept saying over and over, it says that he saw them. He sent them in the sea, and he sent them into the storm, and he saw them. And it just, it, it has stuck with me so if it's for you, I hope that it is. But as I look at this passage of Scripture, and as I, as I think of this, it, it says here that he was alone on the land, and he saw them toiling. I asked the question, was he on the shoreline? And just looking out? Was he up in the mountain? And as he was up on the mountain, he just was able to see out and watch the storm taking place and watch the toil and watch the disciples fighting. But can I tell you this morning that regardless of where you are, he sees you? Like Jesus is watching right now. Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Job says in Job chapter 31, does not the Lord see my ways and number my steps? 2 Chronicles 16.9, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the entire earth. 
You are not out in the middle of the sea all alone. I don't know your circumstance. I don't know who is fighting today. I don't know the storm that you're facing. I don't know any of those things today. But can I tell you, you may be the one that's saying, but God, I have been obedient. Why are you doing this to me? He's on the sea watching. God, I've been so good. I've been that person. Everything should be good in my life. Have you ever met that guy? Have you ever went to a funeral and you thought to yourself, that was such a man of God. Why would he allow that to take place? That was a woman who genuinely just loved and gave themselves. I have. I've been to services where I've literally thought to myself, but God, (laughs) there's so many other people that are bad. (laughs) That person has given everything. Why would you allow them to struggle through that? I've thought those things. Can I tell you this morning, but it didn't catch him off guard. (laughs) He sees. And today, while you're in the storm, while you're being obedient, while you're saying all the things that you're supposed to say, you're acting the ways that you're supposed to act, you're doing what you feel you're supposed to do, you've genuinely confessed before him, you're having quiet times with him, you are meeting with God, and yet you're going, but why? What's going on? Can I just tell you that he is on the shoreline, and it says that he saw them toiling. Matthew chapter 6, I'm not reading all this, but 25 through 33, basically in a paraphrase, he says, take no thought for your life. What you eat or what you drink, do not think of those things. I care for the fowls of the air. I will care for you. You are better than them. Consider the lilies of the field. I care for them. I will care for you. And he says in verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Today he sees your needs, he sees your struggles, and he sees the storms that's there. The word inside of this speaks of straining, toiling. It's often translated torment, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual It can be translated as pain or or toil or torment. And that's where the disciples were. He saw their fear. He saw their anxiety. He saw the anguish. He saw the weakness. He saw all of it. And though he was still on the shore, it says he saw them. I think of it in this regard. Many of you in this room have children. How many of you have children? The hands are everywhere. Whether your children are toddlers or your children are grown and out of the house and now they have grandchildren or they've given you great-grandchildren, I kind of picture some of this. Each stage and phase of life is a little bit different. We have four children. Our oldest is about to be 17 our youngest is 10 and each phase is a little bit different of life but each phase is still very similar in the same and that you allow them to go 
knowing that there's about to be something, but you're still close enough just to be there so that it's not destructive. Do you follow? It could be that moment you're watching your kids walk those first steps. Initially, you, you hold those fingers, and then it's you're standing on one side, and then your husband or your wife is on the other side, and they, they kind of begin to take those steps, and then they just kind of do one of those, and they kind of fall in the arms of the person on the other side. And those steps begin to get a little bit smoother and smoother, but you know, sometimes you can watch them, and you know they're about to do what? Bloop. Or, like any good little baby will do they get that place and then they just go and they sit back on their diaper that's big enough to pad anybody's fall but if every time they were about to fall you ran and picked them up they wouldn't experience the little bruises they wouldn't experience the things, and we might look at that, ah, they're, whatever, but they wouldn't experience that. If every time I, I put bubble wrap around my kids, every time they did anything, they would never experience what is needed to experience. I kind of picture some of this with Jesus. It's like he's letting me go, knowing that I'm there, but I'm, he's close enough to step in right when it's hard enough that I can't any longer do it. It's the same thing for my children. My daughter is now driving. And it wasn't long ago, it was that first ride all by herself. And if you have children that have done that already, you understand the hesitancy, the excitement, but the hesitancy that comes. The first time they get in, I remember she got her license on a Friday. And that Saturday morning, it was like, can I go to Dutch Bros? She just needed to go by herself. And she had worked and she had money and she went to go get herself a coffee instead of mom and dad taking her to get a coffee. And of course, the siblings want to go with. But there's an excitement, but there's a concern. But at some point, what? They have to go. I can keep them in my home for as long as I want, but at some point they have to go. Now every night, she's not every night, but she's driving to work and she's coming back. And now I'm remembering the times that I would put my parents through those same exact things. Getting home late. Not being able to sleep real well until we know or not going to sleep until, which has changed my sleep pattern, which is not making me happy at all she's getting off work at 10 which means she's not getting in until later which is really driving me nuts because I'm asleep by about 10 o'clock not anymore I don't like this but you follow where I'm at and I kind of envision Jesus as a God Jesus as a, as a he watches them in the midst of that toil in the midst of that fuss And at the right time, he will step in when he needs to. See, for you and I, though, in the midst of the storm, we look at that completely different. Because our hands are up, what's going on? God, do you not see this? But can I tell you today, he saw Job throughout his entire journey. 
Think about that. <laughs> I've been so fortunate in my life. God has been so good. Job lost everything, but he watched it all. He saw the three boys that were thrown into the fire and would eventually join them. He saw Daniel in the lion's den and allowed them to sleep. He saw David face the giant. He saw David as he was on his own after his own failures. And his eyes were on the disciples. Can I say that his eyes are on you this morning? And this is not a part of this particular passage of Scripture. It is not just in this passage of Scripture, but this same context. Jesus went out, and we would see what Peter would begin to walk on water. Just as much as his eyes are on you, I was reminded of this after the last service, that our eyes must be on him as well. In the midst of your storm, keep your eyes on him. He's watching. The next thought is this, he came to their place of need. Not only did he send them into the midst of the storm knowing what was going on, not only was he watching them, but he came to them. It says here that it is about the fourth watch in verse 48, which is somewhere in the midst of about three to six in the morning. So now they have toiled literally all night long. It's supposed to be about a two-hour trip. Now they're going all night long. They were toiling. They were exhausted. I imagine physically they were fatigued. I'd imagine every aspect of them were pretty much at their wit's end. They were at the end of their rope, if you will. Maybe they were at a time in the boat where it was just looking at each other going, well, guys, it's been real. I don't know. I don't know. But they've been at it now for a long time. Some of you have been there. Some of you are there. You've been at it for a long time and you fought and you fought and you fought and you fought and you're literally sitting here going, I have nothing else to give. Here I am. <laughs> I guess it's been a good ride. But I have nothing else to give. The storm is taking over. And we see in this passage of Scripture that Jesus comes in. These men were at that place of just, I can't have imagined. They're just at a place of their ending. They were tired. In the Old Testament, really it's not just the Old Testament, but we see it more often in the Old Testament, a word called a theophany, or literally a manifestation of God in visible form. That he would show himself, that God would show himself. You see that in the burning bush, that God showed himself to Moses in the midst of the burning bush. Also, we look in Exodus chapter 33, where, where, where Moses was asking to see God. And, and he basically says, I can't show you everything, but, but I, will, I will put you here. I'll put my hand out and you can see the backside of me. You can see the, the glory of God. It says there, and he said, I will make all thy, my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, thou canst not see my face for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me and thou shalt stand upon a rock 
And it shall come to pass while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by, and I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. He was showing himself to Moses. I kind of imagine some of the same things as these men are standing or they're wrestling, they're fighting in the middle of this sea. And here God shows himself, manifested himself walking upon the water. The glory of God that came throughout that night in the midst of this storm, these men in fear. And Jesus says, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Can I come to you today? I may be off in my thinking. But I really believe that it is this moment that the disciples had this moment that changed everything for them they went from verse 52 as we would see because they hadn't considered the miracle of the loaves for their hearts were hardened to a place of saying truly this is the son of God in Matthew Chapter 14 and verse 33, it says this, and again, this is the parallel passage in Matthew. It says, Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying what? Of a truth thou art the Son of God. Can I just ask you this morning, in the midst of the storm that you're facing, maybe it's just something that's a reminder to you, I don't know, but can I just ask you, when was the last time you just truly had your eyes opened, the light bulb went off, if you will, that God just showed up to the place and said, hey, it is I. Hey, I have this. Maybe it is this morning for you, it's salvation. But for somebody else in this room, maybe you walk with God, you, you know the Lord as Savior. This isn't an issue of salvation, but you would genuinely, you would be like them where your heart has been blind or your heart has been hearted to certain things and you've, you've not seen God work in the manner that you maybe desire to see God and for some way, shape, or form, you have a hard heart towards what God has done in your life and you need that moment and you need to say, wow, it is God. You are the son of God I don't know where you sit but can I tell you today when you're fighting in the midst of all these things you say Jesus God just sent me out here he doesn't even care about me you know how many times I've heard somebody say I just don't think he cares anymore does God even hear me can I say he hears (laughs) can I say he's watching you And at the right time, he's waiting and he's coming to say, hey, look, it is I. It is I. And you might think you don't need to be brought back to the the bottom again, so to speak. But he's taking you through whatever he's taking you through to get you back to the place to say, wow, 
truly, you are the Son of God. You are God. When Abraham was ninety and nine years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. In Genesis 26, I am the God of your father. Do not be afraid. I am with you. Over and over, God's word uses that statement, I am. He says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I am God. I am with you. I am your God. I am the Lord. I am all of these things we see in countless, countless others. Jesus says to the disciples, be not afraid. It is I. Be not afraid because I am is with you. As we close out this morning, we see that Jesus got in the boat. As you look at that passage in verse 51, right after that statement is made, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed. Can I just say this morning, you may have the it is I moment, and it may not be that the wind completely ceases, but when Jesus gets in the boat, transformation takes place. Life change takes place. And the storms are made a whole lot easier when Jesus is in the boat. Because even if it's not made to where everything is perfect around us, we're now in his comfort, in his hand. We're, we're resting with him, if you will. Because we've made that, that connection. Oh. oh, It's okay. The disciples were okay when they saw him. That, that fear ceased, though the storm hadn't yet. Because we see in the other passage, Matthew got out and walked. This morning, I don't have a one, two, three process to make everything go away. Wouldn't that be cool? I would be a very wealthy man. You don't care. <laughs> but I don't have a one, two, three process to make sure that the storms are calmed and that Jesus gets in the boat and all of those things. But can I just share with you today? He's watching. He's seeing where you're at. And at the right and perfect moment, because God's timing is perfect. He will show up beside you and say, Hey, it is I. I'm here. I've got this. Calm down. As we invite him into the boat. And we move forward with it. Hey, you may be facing the storm today. Remain faithful. Be steadfast. 
always abounding in the work of the Lord. Remain faithful to him. Continue to do what he's called you to do and cry out and say, God, I don't fully understand it. I don't get this. I don't like this. But God, I'm going to keep walking and trust that the moment is coming that you're going you're to be in here and you're going to save the day. Maybe you're at your wit's end and you've said, God, I've done everything. Continue. Continue. Because it's in His hands and it's in His timing, not ours, that He will come and reveal that it is I moment. I don't know if you need that moment. I don't know if this morning it makes sense to you. But be encouraged wherever you are. He's watching. And he is waiting for his timing to say, hey, I am. I've got this. It's okay. Let me get in and we'll calm it all. Father, we come to you today. And Lord, I thank you so much for just the day that you have given to us. An awesome couple services just to see your hand at work. And Lord, we look forward to, we're excited for the things that are to come this afternoon. The time that we'll have to share within our community. But God, I pray that this morning, before we rush off to those things, God, would we slow down for just a minute and settle? Maybe somebody in this room is just in the middle of it. They've been obedient and you've shoved them into the middle of the storm. Help them to see you in the midst of it. But God, help them to understand that you are the one that orchestrated that. You're also the one that's on the shoreline watching. And that we might know that your hand is there. Help us to experience that it is I moment, that, 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 that realization that the I am is right there and that there's no need to be afraid. God, maybe there is somebody that doesn't know you this morning. Lord, their I am moment, their it is I moment may be that of salvation, that of them seeing their need of a Savior that you sent your son to die for them in their place to cover their sin that you might be able to be in perfect communion with them would you speak to them for the believer that's hurting would you speak to them this morning would they cry out to you Father just tug upon our hearts help us to respond to what you would have us to respond to this morning For it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. Would you stand to your feet as we just sing a simple verse of invitation? Would you respond to the Lord this morning?